0: I'm just going to go back, actually, to the beginning of our reading, and I'll click through. Well, in case I get lost in this sermon, uh, the title of it is praise in, sorry, in Praise of Praise, so a focus upon praise. Now I mentioned getting lost because I find one of the best times in life is when I get lost in thought, Uh, It can be when I'm in my study or walking, sometimes when I'm cycling, but you've got to sort of concentrate a bit more when you're cycling. Uh, I often get lost in thought when I'm walking my dogs. Uh, I'm sure they think, oh no, here he goes again, walking along, paying no attention to them or very little to what's going on around me, just lost in my thoughts. It's usually a single thought that leads me into this delicious lostness. John's gospel triggers this most. And if you're interested, uh, we will be uh, looking at John. Uh, It'll be the subject of our Lent readings. Uh, And yes, Easter's not far away. The shops have already got hot cross buns in them. There's something about the way that John portrays Jesus that takes me into some wonderful places. Uh, I can sit down to read a chapter or two and come across one line and get stuck there for the next half hour or, or longer. Uh, in a, a year or two before uh, I decided to leave my previous career and go to Bible college, it was really John's Gospel that was the trigger. Uh, I'd sit down and read and, and just, just want to keep on going, and I thought, oh, no, I've got to go to work now. I thought, how much better would it be spend the day just lost in John's gospel. Um, And that was one of the great things about college. Uh, Today, the opening couple of verses of our psalm got me going. Uh, These words triggered a reflection of praise that took me down into a slow whirlpool of thoughts. And then spilled out as I thought about how the rest of the psalm <coughs> brought more thoughts of praise uh, into this whirlpool. It's a slow whirlpool. It's not sort of one that spins round and round and round. Just slowly taking me down deeper and deeper. The psalm opens, Praise the Lord. How good is it to sing praises to our God? How pleasant and fitting. To praise him. Praise the Lord, or in the original language, hallelujah. In Hebrew, halal means praise, and Yahweh is the personal name of God. The name given to Moses in the burning bush. The name that embodies both the revelation and promise. I am who I am, and I am, and I will be who I will be. So Hallelujah is a combination of praise of God. So, praise the Lord, a great way to start. But is this command, exhortation, or praise itself, or all three, and perhaps more? We can praise only what we know, so how do we know God? Only by revelation. God's grace to us in his revelation. We praise God because of his grace. And the thinking begins. What is praise and how broad and multifaceted is grace? How good is it to sing praise to our God? How pleasant and fitting to praise him, the psalmist says. Just think where you could go with this rifting and reflecting on God's gift of music, the way music fits so well with praise, the way that music works so well when we get together and we sing together to praise God together. We could think about the place of music in worship, which has been part of worship long since before this psalm was written Uh, And perhaps just reflecting upon music and praise and God will will trigger songs in our head, our favourite hymns and songs, and just it's that's the type of psalm this is. It just triggers all sorts of wonderful thoughts. Why is it pleasant and fitting to praise God? It's because we were created. To rejoice in God and His creation. Uh, it's part of how God has made us, to, to be able to, to see Him and therefore respond in praise. Uh, or counterintuitively, God reveals some of Himself through the very act of praise. As we bring thoughts about God to mind, it, it just leads us into praising God. And of course, With praise, there's a cleansing effect when we speak words of truth that exclude any thoughts of self-centeredness, when we're focused upon God. Do we praise simply because God deserves it? Or does praising do good for us as well, both making us happier and bringing us together in our praise and happiness? We build the church with praise, just think of what the church would be like without praise. So many questions, pregnant with joyous possibilities, and I've only looked at the first line. The next line is, the Lord builds up Jerusalem, he gathers the exiles of Israel. Uh, Is this praise or is this the reason for praise, or, or both? The Lord should be praised for building up Jerusalem and gathering exiles. And the Lord is praised by taking these good things to our lips. And are we included in the exiles of Israel? And I'm lost in the toing and fro of being with God. And I don't want to stop. And the dogs are at my feet wondering if they will ever get breakfast. So what is praise? I'm going to look briefly uh, at that and then look more closely at the psalm, thinking about how it both evokes our praise and expresses our praise. It evokes our praise and it expresses our praise. Uh, We often praise when we express approval or admiration. So the psalm starts by saying that it is good to approve and admire God. That might be understating it a bit. It's right to say good things about God. When we speak the truth about God, either directly to him or to others, we give him the honour he deserves and also exclude other alternatives. To praise the one true God excludes any other possible gods. To call him great and mighty in power, as we do in verse 5, sets him over and above us puts us in our right place, and it's good to be in our right place, to recognise him as the creator of all that is, not only excludes other gods, but also excludes other possible explanations of, of what is. Praise, in this sense, establishes and affirms an exclusive relationship where God is deserving of our praise. But the psalmist also says it is pleasant and fitting for us to praise God. It makes us feel good, and God knows that. And it fits with the way we have been made and shaped by God. The word that is often translated as praise in the New Testament is the Greek word eucharistin, which means to give thanks. So in praise we acknowledge not only the truth about God, and his exalted position above us, but we also thank him for who he is and what he's done and what he's going to do. This is why some call communion or the Lord's Supper the Eucharist, because in it we give thanks for God's grace and salvation won by Jesus in giving up his body and blood for us. There is a sense of thankfulness in our psalm today. Thanks that the Lord is God. Thanks that we feel good praising him. And thanks for all the other good things the psalm says about him. So praise is saying good and true things about God, thanking him for them, and letting all that shape our relationship with God. Uh, Our relationship with God would be so much the poorer without praise. I love the way the psalm both evokes and expresses praise. The psalm was probably written about uh, well uh, after Jerusalem uh, had been captured and destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 BC. Uh, Then the temple was looted and destroyed. Most of the population was taken into exile in Babylon about 2,700 kilometers away, or a a three or four month journey on foot. And once you got there, you'd wonder if you'd ever go back to the promised land. But 70 years later, as foretold by the prophet Jeremiah, the exile ended. And um, the people in exile began to return to Jerusalem. Under Ezra and Nehemiah, they started to rebuild the city and the temple And this psalm honours God orchestrating this, overseeing the rise of the Persian Empire and the demise of the Babylonians, and the Persian King Cyrus allowing the people of Israel to return to their spiritual home. You can see why they had much to give thanks for. It is the Lord who gathered these exiles and raised up the leaders Israel needed so we're not the exiles referred to here. But it's not hard to see the links with God's promises elsewhere to gather in all nations to him. And the revelation of Paul in Romans 11 that even though much of Israel had not accepted Jesus as the Christ, at the end of the age, many of them will. And at the, then when Paul wrote that, they were, in a sense, in exile but the Lord would gather them in, uh, gather them back as Jews and Gentiles both take their place in the people of God. And Peter talks about believers being strangers in the world. And as I reflect on this psalm, I can slip into one Peter or Jesus' high priest prayer in John 17 as he prays for us being in the world, but not of it. There's a sense of exile in that, isn't there? So so this is both descriptive and evocative and sets all sorts of other connections running with the good things God does. You can see how I can get lost in wonder as I chase down some of these connections. How how did I get from verse 2 of Psalm 147 to Romans 11 or Jesus' prayer in John's Gospel? By Letting the true things I know about God and my admiration for Him lead me into rich pastures of prayer. Line three. We remember that the Lord heals the brokenhearted and binds up his wounds. There is thanks and praise here, but also sometimes petition. If we dwell on those words for only a short time, we can think of people, even ourselves who are broken-hearted and need healing, and who need their wounds bound. So the psalmist draws us close to this comforting, restorative God, but then takes us up into the heavens. We zoom out of this intimate care of God to his awesomeness. We sing, God determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. What an amazing thought that God would even bother to call each star by name and that yet he can keep every star in the universe in his mind at any one time. Again, the truth sets us free to worship the creator God and to give thanks that we're part of this and get to see this. God has revealed to us both his creation and that he is creator. And that is part of his grace and allows and enables us to to praise him. And so we may say, as the psalmist does, great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. And that has to make us feel good. Nothing is beyond the power of God. Nothing is too big and nothing is too small. The roller coaster continues, having zoomed out into the transcending power of God. We zoom right back into the things that, again, are really important to us because they are where we are. Verse 6, the Lord sustains the humble and, but casts the wicked to the ground. If we are going to praise the God we are describing here, we had better be humble. But in the same breath we affirm, that God loves the humble. We lose nothing in humility. And I bet if you thought about that, you could spend half an hour just reflecting upon that. We lose nothing in humility. In fact, there's just so much to gain. And then we praise God for his justice and righteousness For he casts the wicked to the ground. Again, this both evokes and expresses admiration. If we spent a moment on this, we can go anywhere that God would lead us in the Gospels. With Jesus exposing hypocrisy and the limitation of earthly rulers and his going to the cross. Dealing with all our sin. Not ignoring the sin of the world, but paying the price only he could pay. What what thoughts are set running by thinking about the Lord casting the wicked to the ground? You may think about wicked regimes around the world, or people who are making your life difficult, or, or even think, yes, Jesus brings us to our knees from where we see his glory. When I think of these things, my heart sings which is what the psalmist next says. Sing to the Lord with grateful praise, make music to our God on the harp. Although separated by 2,500 years, our emotions are running in sync with the psalms. Our pleasant thoughts blend in and find expression in our hymns and songs. And then we see another dimension of the God we're praising. He covers the sky with clouds, he supplies the earth with rain, and makes grass grow on the hills. He provides food for the cattle and for the young ravens when they call. We we admire his work of creation and sustaining, and also the breadth of the needs he meets. And then we reach the halfway point of the psalm, which, as so often in Hebrew poetry, contains the central idea of this psalm. Uh, We praise God for the thing that is most central to his character and most central to our relationship with him, his unfailing love. That's right at the heart of God. It's right at the heart of this psalm. Everything builds up to it. Everything flows out of it. Uh, It's love that powers his revelation. It's love that inspires our praise. And it's love that rewards that single-minded focus, praise, Just think of the way this is revealed. Uh, The familiar parallel lines of Hebrew poetry that both broaden and intensify. The Lord's pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor his delight in the legs of the warrior. The first line you might be thinking, what's he got against horses? No, it's a a metaphor for for cavalry, for, for people who would make their way in the world through force. Uh, and that's borne out by the second line, nor his delight in the legs of warriors. As if to say, the things that matter in this world, <laughs> power and might and the pretensions of governments don't matter to God. But two more parallel lines both broaden and intensify this. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. And we're right back there with him, aren't we? We've been going for nine, ten verses and we've seen and we've been treating God with the trust and reverence he deserves. And then we see that he loves us with an unfailing love and that we are right to put our trust in him. Yes, these are words of a 5th or 4th century Hebrew poet, but God inspired them and he caused them to be preserved in his holy scriptures so that we know these words and that are pleasing, we know that these words are pleasing to God and and they can be our words. Yes, we live in a different context. Yes, we will read in lots more things because of what we know and from the rest of scripture, but that's part of the wonderful thing. Each person who reads this gets their own sense of meaning from it because of what God reveals to himself through us The hope the psalmist speaks about here means absolute confidence. There's nothing contingent about God's love or all the things it enables. Our futures are sure and safe with this God. This is a psalm you can go to time and time again. How can we, mere mortals do anything that would delight the Lord? What joy does it bring to us to know that we can bring joy to our Creator? and the one who loves us isn't that amazing the god who can knows every star by name would still find delight in our praise of him what what pleasant fields of praise will that lead us into i can truly get lost in wonder love and praise in thinking about how i can bring delight to the lord the eternal god who was and is and is to come, and and each one of you can as well. It's It's just a wonderful thought, isn't it? From trusting the unfailing God, many other blessings flow which again evoke and express our praise. The Lord provides protection to his people. He grants peace and satisfies us with the finest wheat. Nothing is too good for our Lord or for those who trust him. Having praised him for all that we, uh, for all of this, we then turn to him as the Lord who speaks through his word. He sends his commands to the earth. His words run swiftly. It covers the earth and nothing can hold it back. He spreads the snow like wool and scatters the frost like ashes. He hurls down his hail like pebbles Who can withstand his icy blast? I can't. He sends his word and melts them. He stirs up his breezes and the waters flow. What wonderful pictures of abundance and freedom. Whoops, gone too far. Thank you. The psalmist then says, the Lord has revealed his word to Jacob, Israel. Israel. His laws and decrees to Israel. He has done this for no other nation. They do not know his laws. And and that made sense 2,500 years ago. But of course we know he has revealed his word to all nations. That was part of his plan in Jesus. These words of comfort were there for a nation that had been defeated had been in exile and and now survived precariously under Persian rule. But they are also words of comfort for us. For we know that Jesus came to bring the word of God and his wisdom and salvation to Jew and Gentile alike. Through Jesus and his apostles, we've heard the word of God. And we know that the scriptures of Israel are our scriptures. We've heard his laws mediated through the teaching of Jesus. We are adopted into God's family. We are part of his people. The second reading, which I won't look at in detail, comes at the end of three chapters in the book of Romans where Paul explains how Jews and Gentiles fit together as God's people and fittingly join in praise. It's a wonderful... uh, it's a doxology it's a it's where we praise God for what he's done in bringing us into Israel and the psalm ends where it began praise the Lord there has been so much to praise him for and praising him has done us good each line is enough to trigger hours of reflection and at the end of the day we praise the Lord. Well, it's time for us now to sing again, and it won't surprise you to know it's praise to the Lord. Thanks, Cole.